Hi, everybody. I'm Casey. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Casey. My sobriety date is 11-29-2012. Christian S. is my sponsor in the Blackburn Only Men's Big Book Study on Saturday morning is my home group. And you'll probably notice that both me and Brian stated that. And typically Saturday mornings, Brent states that too, as well as Anthony and some other guys that are here. And I'd like to welcome each and every one of you to Alcoholics Anonymous and I'd like to thank Melody for the opportunity to be here tonight. I'd like to also thank each and every person who has a commitment at this meeting that keeps the message of AA alive and well in our community. Um, you know, I'm really glad that uh, when I needed a place to go, there was a room and there was coffee and cake and there was a secretary and there was a treasurer and there was somebody at the door and the chairs were out and there was a safe environment that I could come in and participate in my recovery. And most importantly, that there were uh, other members of the fellowship that uh, preceded me here um, that had implemented this uh, way of living in their lives and practiced these principles in their affairs and provided a shining example of what people can be in recovery. And um, much like Brian's case, I had struggled very, very hardly for a long time. Um, the funny thing about it is um, here tonight, we we're at the Lutheran Church here in Laguna Niguel. Um, it holds a special place in my heart, and I'm going to tell you guys why. Um, my parents were parishioners at this church um, nine years ago, and um, I was in the worst bouts of my active alcoholism at that point in time in my life. I was 34 years old. I had tried almost everything and anything that I could to get sober. Um, if she could do it, I would have been with her. If it was the church that could do it, I'd show up on Sundays. If a private practice therapist could help me, I would show up there once a week. If a psychiatrist could give me a magic pill, I would have done that. If a rehab program would have done it for me, I would only had to go there one time. Um, if an IOP or a sober living would do it for me, I would have concluded my stint there and went on with a happy, beautiful life. But that wasn't the situation that I had found myself in at 34 years old. And my parents who lived up the street from this church at that time, had met with themselves in the morning one day having coffee. And they just had a real frank conversation with each other about the severity of the condition that I have. And they said to each other, if our son dies as a result of his alcoholism, do we believe that we've done everything that we could to save his life? And at that point in their time, at that point in time, they looked each other squarely and said that they felt that they did not. And they knew that they would not be able to sleep at night or live with the decision if they were not to act and offer me an opportunity to recover that was significant. And um, so my mom called me and it was in October of 2012. And she said, if you're willing to change your life entirely, your father and I will help you find an appropriate treatment program. You can come here to California where you live where we live and um, we will support you in every, in every way that we can to ensure that you recover from your condition. We'll do everything that we can to support you. And, um, you know, here I am in the midst of a significant spiritual malady and I'm saying, well, go to California on this hand or live and die with alcoholism. Which one will it be, right? And so for about a month, I weighed out that decision. <laughs> 
And of course, I, I was very productive in burning my life down at the time uh, because um, every single day for an alcoholic like me is do as much as you can and not worry about the next day, not worry about the consequences. I'll figure it out then. I'll rob, pillage, steal, rape, whatever I need to do to get the next thing. And, um, you know, when the bottom head fell out, I knew that I had an opportunity here and my options were limited. You know, I, um, I knew that I'd end up in, in jail. I'd end up dead, homeless, um, or institutionalized, right? And for me, out of those three, death seemed probably the most probable and most, you know, uh, you know, seemed like the best option. And so on 1128 of 2012, I did take that opportunity. And at this point in time, my mother had no idea where I would go to treatment or how she would fulfill this opportunity that she had figured out for me. And so she came to this church where we're at tonight as a parishioner. And she asked her pastor, hey, we have a son and he suffers from alcoholism. Does the church have anything that can help us in identifying an appropriate treatment program to support him? And the pastor got her linked up with another mother who was in Al-Anon who had a son who was a year sober. And that son, uh, his name was Nick, ended up sponsoring a lot of my friends when I came here. And um, he was a year sober and went through the treatment program that I went through. And so they went to the treatment program. They spoke with the people. They saw the facility. They did their homework. And on 11-28 of 2012, I made my way to California. Um, and I remember it vividly. I got off that plane and, you know, I was about 150 pounds, you know, soaking, wet and wearing boots. And, um, you know, before I left Michigan, I left my children, I left my fiance and I had absolutely zero emotion associated with it at all. I couldn't feel anything. I was so used to numbing my feelings and that solution that alcohol provided to me. And, um, and so when they were crying um, uncontrollably, you know, it didn't phase me at all. And I felt really bad about that later on. Um, <clears throat> and so, you know, I showed up uh, and my parents picked me up from the airport. And of course, we go to In-N-Out because that's what you do when you're here in California and you're not from here. You got to go to In-N-Out. Um, and of course, I can't eat anything really. So I don't get to enjoy In-N-Out for my first experience. Um, and then they took me to the front steps of those rehab and, you know, I'm sitting there across from my parents and, you know, I see my dad crying and saying, you know, we just want you to have a life of, you know, excellence and integrity. And we want you to live a life without the use of substances. And we want you to have an opportunity. And right there in that moment, for whatever reason, for me, it became extremely evident and clear that my actions and behavior had direct effect on other people. Right. Because when I'm the, in the midst of my alcoholism, I can rationalize and justify that this is just hurting me and you just need to live your life and leave me alone. Right. And so when I am part of a family unit and I'm um, kind of on an island living in a different area away from people that were close to me, um, you know, I could easily justify that. But I knew that was a lie that I was telling myself. And, and so I took the attitude that I needed to utilize this opportunity for the best that I could. And um, there were many times before in my life that beaten under the lash of alcoholism, I would find my way into AA rooms in my hometown, which is Lansing, Michigan. And 
you know, I could no longer evade the fact that I was an alcoholic. And, you know, I think that first time when I raised my hand and said that I'm an alcoholic, you know, that's not something that you can take back with people that love you. Like right then and there, I earned the responsibility uh, to them as people that cared about me that I was never going to be able to go back from that. You know, they have a saying here in Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, once you become a pickle, you don't go back to being a cucumber. Well, your family doesn't recognize you as a cucumber anymore. That's for sure. Right. <laughs> you know, and so, um, you know, there was about five years of my life that I ended up in AA, in detox programs, indigent programs, sitting, shaking and baking, you know, waking up, getting a little bit of clarity and saying, how did this happen to me? You know, what happened again? And then having this resolve that I would stop only to find myself pounding on the bar once more at noon or, you know, leaving the bar at 2 a.m. with another DUI and continuing to destroy and hurt the relationships and people that were so close to me. Right. And it was, there was a lot of, um, there was a lot of wreckage in my past. I have two children that are 17 and 19 now. They were eight and 10 when I got sober, you know, and um, you know, thank God for Alcoholics Anonymous because it did allow me to repair my relations with my family and my children, but it came through a lot of work and dedication to the program. Um, you know, when I was in that treatment program, uh, they started taking us to a lot of meetings, right? And so on Monday nights, you'd go to AA meetings and on Tuesday nights, you'd go to NA meetings and Wednesday night, you'd go to CA meetings and on Fridays, you'd go to CR meetings and all these different kinds of meetings. And You'd go to mixed meetings and men's meetings and open meetings and closed meetings. And they would tell you what kind of meetings you were going to. And they would say, if you're going to Alcoholics Anonymous, you identify as an alcoholic. And if you're going to these other meetings, you identify as this. And, um, you know, out of the entire experience that I had in my treatment episode, there were two things that were extremely important to me in that. It was the relationship that I had with the staff that was there supporting me, mostly like the house manager right, that I was with all the time, and then my peers, people that I went through the treatment program with, that served as my fellowship before I came to Alcoholics Anonymous. And um, of course, you had a nice therapist, and you got some nice medications that made that process a little bit easier. But the most important thing that happened in the time that I was in treatment was, is they brought us to Alcoholics Anonymous. And so I decided at that moment, though I had a pretty significant drug problem, because I'm the kind of alcoholic that likes to shoot my alcohol intravenously, um, is that I would come and attend Alcoholics Anonymous. And here's the reason why. You know, it wasn't because I saw a bunch of BMWs and Mercedes in the parking lot, although there were a lot of them out there, right? It wasn't for the Rolex watches that you were wearing or the golf shirts and the things that you had that I wanted. It was because when these individuals shared in the meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, they shared about a condition that I felt that I had, which was this threefold illness that we talk about in the doctor's opinion, you know, that I suffer from this in my mind, my body, and my spirit. And they talked about how their life looked before they got to Alcoholics Anonymous and the things that they were doing and the things that they did and what it looked like now. And I could relate a lot with the things in their, what their life looked like, you know, and I could see what they looked like in front of me. And most importantly, they talked about the solution that's provided as a result of the program and the, and the principles that we practice in our fairs and the steps and the traditions that we see here in our meetings. You know, I would go to tons of meetings and hear, you know, the, you know, chapter three and chapter five and all these things. And I'd be sitting there like, wah, 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 
you know, Charlie Brown style, right? Um, and, you know, it wasn't until, and in, I, you know, I saw that and something happened in me where I had seen these other meetings and I go to this meeting and I just raised my hand in that meeting. It was maybe the first opportunity that I had to truthfully, you know, um, have a humble moment in my life, right? And I just raised my hand and I said, my name's Casey, I'm an alcoholic. I have absolutely no clue how to stay sober. If I knew how to stay sober, I sure as hell would not be here with you, right? And that's the truth of it today, right? If I knew how to stay sober and have a happy, usefully whole life without Alcoholics Anonymous, I would have done that. Maybe the psychiatrist would have done it for me. Maybe the therapist, maybe the church, maybe the girl, maybe all the things that I tried. Alcoholics Anonymous was the absolute last thing that I ever tried and the only thing that ever worked for me, right? And so I said, if you guys t tell me what to do, I'll do whatever it is. If I got to stand on my hands for an hour or walk across the street in my boxer shorts, I don't know what it is, but I'm willing to go to any length to stay sober, like unlike any other time in my life. Because I had been down that road. I had been beaten so bad by this. There was nowhere else for me to go. It was the last house on the block. And my sponsor, who's my sponsor today, he raised his hand and he said, my name's Christian. I'm an alcoholic. I need sponsees like I need water. Please come talk to me after the meeting. I'd love to help you. And I went and talked to this guy after the meeting. And he's like a surfer dude from San Clemente and he's got a flat bill and he's got tattoos and he's got the lopes and he kind of talks like a guy from the beach with a surfy attitude. And it's very different than me. But the one thing that he did know was the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. Not only did he know the 12 steps, he knew the 12 traditions and the 12 concepts of our program. So this was an individual that was well balanced on all pieces of the triangle, right? He had a fellowship of people that we see here that, that supported him. He was strong in his own personal recovery from working the steps and sharing that message with other people. And he was of service to Alcoholics Anonymous that so many of you guys are that are here tonight to set this meeting up, all right? And so he employed into me as his sponsee all those aspects of the program. And he started coming to pick me up at this treatment program and I couldn't believe it. Here comes this guy in this like four by four truck and he's coming up there to get me. And I'm like, man, what is this dude doing, man? Like, why would this guy take time out of his life to come pick me up and do this? Like, what is wrong with this guy? Something's weird, you know? <laughs> And, uh, you know, I, I give him a call on my lunch break because you get like your phone for about a half hour and, you know, you got to get all your calls in. And, you know, I wasn't calling the dope man anymore. So it was time to call the sponsor and maybe call the girlfriend if you had time to. And each time I'd speak with him and I'd tell him about all my worldly problems of being in treatment and all the things that I was going on. And, and uh, he'd tell me, thank you so much for calling today. I can't tell you how much it means to me. And it was just so far beyond what I could understand at that point in time. The good news is I fully understand the concept now, right? Little did I know at that point in time in my life that as a result of the work that Christian would do with me, I would get sober. And my sobriety, my recovery is contingent on my sobriety. And, and the fact of the matter is, is that Brian's sobriety was contingent on the aspect of me getting sober. And Anthony's sobriety was contingent on the fact of me getting sober, then getting Brian sober 
and him getting sober. And now Anthony has a sponsee that's contingent on Anthony staying sober. I never considered the aspect that another man's life might be absolutely dependent on the aspect of me staying sober. I was so wrapped up in my own selfish, self-centered ways that it never dawned on me, right? And I was very selfish and self-centered in my ways when I got here. And so me and Kristen, Christian started working the steps and one by one, we started doing those. And I recall very vividly, you know, the way that he asked me to do this. He said, you know, I want you to read the first 164 pages of the big book. And each time you see the word God, go ahead and circle that. Because he wanted me to understand that this program is about God. This is a spiritual way of living. And I didn't understand at the time. So I whipped through it and I got the first 164 pages read of the book in like five hours. And I Told, I met him in the meeting that night and I wanted him to be real proud of me. So I told him, hey, it's 209 times in there in the first 164 pages, you know? He's like, wow, that's great. Let's get started, you know? And so then we read the doctor's opinion where for the first time I had a clear understanding of what I was suffering from. I had this aha moment. That's why it never worked for me, right? Um, you know, in the doctor's opinion, it states really clearly that I'm suffering from this threefold illness that affects me in my mind, body, and spirit, that I suffer from, you know, obsession of my mind and allergy of the body, and most importantly, a spiritual malady. And in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, it talks about us straightening out spiritually, then physically and mentally, right? And so what I identify in that aspect is that I'm suffering spiritually. And I come into Alcoholics Anonymous, I am suffering a significant spiritual malady that I can't overcome by myself. It's challenging enough for us all to overcome it, but most importantly, that I need a God in my life that will help me to overcome this because the fellowship is going to help lift me to the point where I can find this God, right? And, you know, I had a ton of list of consequences that happened in my life that were aspects of this allergy of the body, which made me different from my fellows. Like people in this room get DUIs, they end up in jail, they end up in handcuffs, they OD. You know, we are a distinct entity as a result of these experiences that we have. The people that are walking their dogs out on the street right now are not coming into an AA meeting. They don't need this. They don't suffer these same circumstances. Given sufficient reason, these individuals, if they experience one or two of these things, may have sufficient reason to stop drinking entirely, or at least for a little while. And the truth of the matter is, is when Casey Gooding wanted to honestly quit, when he woke up with that resolve in the morning and said, you know, I'm going to quit today. Today is going to be the day and found himself pounding on the bar at noon and closing that bar down at 2 a.m. When I honestly wanted to, I found I could not quit entirely, like stop for good, like going to rehab, not stopping, going to detox, not stopping, going to jail, praying to God that this will be the last time, not stopping telling my wife, my children that I will stop, not stopping. I don't stop drinking. I don't stop shooting. I don't stop smoking. I do everything. There's not one substance that I don't like. I like them all. Um, you know, I do them all for the effect. Like I do it all for the effect. And I'm not only like just looking to get a little bit of the effect. Like I want as much of the effect as fast as I can get it. So like for a guy like me, I like to like ride on that line of like life and death, you know, like I want to be so messed up that I like people might think I'm really dead, you know, that's, <laughs> me. you know, um, or like, 
so like with, so so up on a cloud that like maybe I have to be 5150 or you know or you know you know just those kind of things and you know I used to think honestly when I was going through this that like other people around me drank and partied the way that I did right and then I got sober and I started doing some things with like my friends that I thought drank that way and I was like whoa 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 no wait, wait you know uh these people don't drink like or, or party like I, right? I'm like, we're there going out and having a couple of drinks. I've already got a pint of whiskey like that I've that I've ripped off in my in my pocket, right? That's already down the hatch, you know. Probably a couple of this, couple of that. By the time I get there, a couple pill forms, couple IV forms, just to get me the courage to go to the bar with them, right? They're not drinking like I was, right? And so what, do, what happens to an individual that suffers from this condition, right? That can't stop entirely. And when I, when, I, when I start, I have very little control over how much I take. I can't go to the bar and just have two. You know, when I first started coming to Alcoholics Anonymous, I was like, you know, my, my problem really isn't alcohol. It's this other stuff that goes in my arm, right? Like I can go and have a couple drinks and go to the bar and just have a couple and knock them back. I'll show these people. They'll be tipping their hat off to me, right? And so I go and I'm like, yeah, one point down, two point down. Awesome. I'm heading home. What happens when I get home? Beep, 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 beep. Yeah, I'm ready. Let's go. Get it on. So gentlemen just don't go home and, and snort an eight ball and shoot like heroin and smoke crack, right? Like gentlemen don't do that. Like I know some gentlemen I've seen what at least what a gentleman's supposed to be. That's not what a gentleman is, right? And so... You know, that is a spiritually sick man, right? That is a person that is unable to control, given plenty of sufficient reason, who suffers from the same set of consequences that you all suffer from, that is a spiritually sick person. Like, if you could have looked into a window of what I looked like nine years ago, you would not see the guy who's up here with a suit on, you know, fat, you know, none of that, right? Like, you would see, like, a guy who was, like, skin and bones, looking like Skeletor, smoking crack, shooting dope you know, with hookers, the whole bad, all everything bad that you can think of just about. And you would say, oh my God, like what happened to that guy? I just saw him yesterday. He was wearing a suit. He was fat. Like he's, he was looking great. That's a spiritually sick individual. Like that person, I can see they are spiritually ill. And that's what I had to recognize is like, you know, the alcohol, the drugs, everything was just a solution to my internal condition right? Like that's what provided me the sense of ease and comfort that I needed just to make it through the day. But the problem was, is the consequences became so severe that I could no longer continue to do that. And I became dependent on that and it destroyed everything in my life. And so that made it very evident to me right in that moment that I'm suffering spiritually and I need a spiritual solution for this, right? Here we go. Spiritual solution. That's what that is right there. This is the guidelines that get me to a spiritual solution, implementing humility every step of the way. You know, when I raise my hand at that meeting, that's a humbling aspect for a guy like me. I got to ask you for help. I never asked somebody for help in my whole life, right? But I'm willing to do it because I'm beat bad enough, right? So I'm alcoholic. I'm not willing to tell anybody anything about me, right? especially not admit that I'm an alcoholic. You know, my life was unmanageable. My life became unmanageable because I couldn't manage my spiritual condition, right? My spiritual condition is that immense, that moments of angst that I have in my life, that anxiety, depression, all the things, the, the guilt, the shame that I feel over and over again. 
And, you know, the, the steps allow me a pathway to find a power greater than myself that can relieve me of that malady, right? And can align my action and behavior to the characteristics that I would define in the power greater than myself, right? For a guy like me, I didn't have a ton, a ton of problems with two and three. You know, I know a lot of people do. I don't find my God here in this Lutheran church. I find it with you all here, right? Some people can use different aspects. My experience has been, and I talk to my mom about it sometimes. Hey, Casey, do you go to church? Yep, I go on Monday nights, Saturday mornings, (laughs) Friday nights, every night. And why? Because we're in here talking about a spiritual solution that, that helps me live a life usefully whole right? I have a fellowship of people that are committed to the sermon that we talk about on a daily basis, right? We have a book that we implement in our life and that we, that we reference to improve our life on a daily basis. And we're a part, we're of service to each other, each other here that allow us to be a community of individuals seeking a similar solution, right? And, um, you know, I was able to find out a lot of real truths about myself in the process of the steps, you know, identifying that selfishness, that self-centered, that ego, that fear, all the things that kept me separated from you, that kept me separated from God, right? And, you know, I, I found myself in a position where, you know, I was ready to separate the boy and the man and become and grow up in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I became the guy who started offering support for other people, opening the door for the old lady, putting the shopping cart back, all these things right? That I wasn't doing before. Like my, as a result of my transformation internally, my external condition completely changed in how the world would see me and how I could show up. I started coming to meetings 15 minutes early to put up chairs. You know, I took service commitments to be the secretary, the treasurer, the GSR, the intergroup representative, all these kind of things that make the lifeline and AA possible. And those were implemented and asked of me by my sponsor so I could continue to grow in the program. You know, I didn't know at the time it was just another AA request, just like the request came tonight. You know, they just told me when you're asked to do something, AA show up, inconvenience yourself for AA. It'll be the best thing that ever happened to you. And boy, AA can be really inconvenient, but a good life is very, very convenient. Right. Um, And these were all a pathway to get me to there. And, you know, one of the greatest things that happened to me, and we talked about it a little bit earlier, was the restoration of my relationships as a result of working these steps in my life. I talked to you guys about my children and my father and my mother and my wife. And, um, you know, I was able to restore those relationships with my children. And they were just here last week. We were jet skiing in Coronado Island. Again, this is you know, this is an alcoholic drug addict who didn't have a suitcase, came out here in a trash bag, some Jordans in a, in, a, in, a, in a hoodie, right? Like there was no jet skiing and staying at Del Coronado back then. I tell you that for sure, right? But they were here, you know, I paid for them to come out. We did all that. Um, I get to, you know, see them a few times, you know, uh, about every other month I have them out here or they come out, I go out there. And we participate in each other's lives. My son's going to college. My, sister, my daughter's going into her junior year of high school, right? You know, one of the most important amends that I did was my dad's. And I shared this on Saturday morning with my friends that are here. You know, we have a book study on Saturday mornings. It's been a big part of my life and my recovery since I've been in AA. I've been doing book studies since I was about six months sober. 
this, uh, this week we were talking about step nine um, and we talked about my amends process and what that looked like and, you know, how fearful I was about that because I had caused some real harms to people that I cared about. And, uh, you know, just like Brian, I made that list and um, my dad was the first one on the list. He was that guy who dropped me off at the rehab center who cried in front of me, who didn't shed a lot of tears, right? And uh, I was about 11 months sober. And I said, dad, I recognize now that my action behavior was completely upset, uh, unacceptable. I've hurt you in tremendous in, uh, ways. And I've hurt you emotionally, spiritually, financially, just every way that you could hurt somebody. And, you know, I couldn't be, you know, this, I'm coming to you making humble amends and I want an opportunity to make that right. And he said, well, you know, I've seen you change your life in Alcoholics Anonymous. That seems to be working pretty well for you. He says, you got about 10 months of sobriety now. He says, but everybody tells me that doesn't mean shit till you get two years. So why don't you come back in two years? <laughs> I said, wow, dad. Okay. You know, that's what you're asking for. So each year that I uh, get a sobriety coin for my birthday, I give it to my dad. And so, so far he's got eight of those in a row, right? <laughs> and so I waited to give him the second, the second year one. I was really excited about that. I was like, man, I'm going to show this guy. Get in two-year coin, you know? <laughs> so I show up over there in person for this. You know, I'm coming face-to-face -face amends here now, you know, this, we ain't playing around with that letters and shit, right? So uh, I show up with my two-year coin. I said, hey, dad, you know, you know, we talked to when I had 10 months of sobriety. I sent you my one-year coin. He said, here's my two-year coin. You know, I'd really like to revisit this amends. You know, um, I, I want to ask you for an opportunity to make this right, whatever I can do you know, please let me know. He says, well, you're halfway there. Keep going. <laughs> and so every year I give, I give him that coin and I got eight of them. Now he tells me I'm halfway there. <laughs> but the beautiful thing about that is if you really think about it is we're all just halfway there, right? Because this is a program of action, right? This is a program that I get to keep continuing to get better each day on a daily basis. It's all right there for us, right? If I'm doing this program as intended, I'm recognizing that I'm improving on a daily basis. I'm also messing up quite a bit, right? I'm asking for God's help, but that's the beautiful thing of this program is it does, it does make room for the human part of this program. You know, it says in the 12 and 12 in step six that only the first step is the one that we do with perfection. All the rest of the steps are ideals in perfection, right? There is no perfection. The only perfection is God himself. And one thing I recognized about this program is I'm not God, right? You know, I can find God here with you. I can participate in this program. You know, I can try and get close to God, but I'm not going to be God. And, um, you know, so in many ways, we're all just halfway there, right? You know, another thing that's been really, really great for me in this program is the opportunity to be of service to other people and participate in a large way. In, in implementing that in my life in Alcoholics Anonymous and outside of my outside of the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. Like Alcoholics Anonymous gives me the blueprint to be successful in my life. I don't get to come into Alcoholics Anonymous for one hour and dress up as a chore boy while I'm here with you and go out of, in my life and not act in accordance to these principles. Like everything that I learn here is intended for me to go and share this in my life with other people, right? And um, 
you know, I get to share that with other people in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I've had those service commitments and I've had an opportunity to do really great things on a large level. Like I was a special events chair for Orange County Intergroup Association for like four years. I sat on the board. We planned these great events, the picnics and the, you know, costume parties and all those fun things that you get to do. And, you know, one of the things that was hard for me when I got here is I like the fun time is over for me right? Like I associated everything that I did with drugs and alcohol to be the fun when that was just really the lie over again to me, right? And I worked so hard on that spiritual malady to shut down that lie. You know, I would, couldn't be more wrong. I have more fun in Alcoholics Anonymous than I ever did drinking and partying. I mean, I do amazing things, right? Like I was just talking to you earlier and we we're talking about uh, doing some of the insomniac events and going to raves and being sober. And boy, when I showed up at the first rave being sober, man, whoa. <laughs> I was like, I have to be the only guy here that's sober, man. These people are way out there, man. You know, and this was before I knew about that. And, um, and then I found people that were going to raves that were sober and they had like tents and they were like spreading the message of sobriety and I got linked up with a group at Coachella and started leading AA groups at Coachella. And like all these crazy places that you wouldn't think AA exists, it exists. Like I travel for work now and everywhere I go, I can go to AA meeting. And it's awesome going and traveling and going to AA meetings because they're super awesome to you. Like really cool. Like if you want to feel good about yourself, like go travel away and go to an AA meeting. Those people are going to treat you well, you know, <laughs> much better than you people do. <laughs> You know, not to say you guys don't treat me, but it's great. I mean, you get to go uh, hear this message of solution in every nook and cranny of the world. I, I try to uh, include that in, in my in my life. And, you know, it's nice to go to other areas and, and know that AA is alive and well and that there's people committed to the service that's involved in that. And uh, the chairs are open. So when that new person comes in, that there's there's a place for them here just like there was when I got here. That's why each and every time I am asked to do a request for AA, I mean, I could never say no. I mean, AA has done so much for me. It's done more than I'll ever, ever be able to do for it. I mean, there's no work that I could do for AA to be able to replace what AA has done for me, you know? And when we get to that point where you know, you've recovered from this seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, and you have that experience to share with other people, that's where the real gift comes, right? You know, when I, when I had an opportunity to sponsor Brian, you know, he skipped along the bottom for a long time. Brian was not the kind of guy who could stand up here and read a sentence before you guys. I mean, he would be in sweating bullets in here. He would have looked like he was at a comedy show with the spotlight on him. He, it was really hard for him back in the day. You know, and, and um, you know, I stuck with him and, and, and we continued to do the work, you know, and he got beaten bad enough like I was. And we worked through the steps and he caught fire in the program. Right. And his life improved dramatically, just like every single person that I see that implements these spiritual principles in their life. It's like a guaranteed success if you do this. Like I can only be in the way of my own progress. Like nobody is going to take me out of Alcoholics Anonymous except for me. Right. And, you know, to see another man or, or if, you know, you're a lady and you see other women do this and really get on fire for the program and, 
you know, start carrying a message and start coming up here and sharing things that you taught them and stealing your, 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 your lines and things like that, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a really heartwarming feeling, you know, to be able to, you know, give what was so freely given to me, you know, that's the stuff that Christian was doing when he was picking me up in that rehab. You know, that's why he went and did that stuff because somebody did it for him. Right. You know, I remember being in that seat with five months of sobriety or 30 days, or I remember being in Canada drinking a lot too. I know we got some people from Canada. I blacked out there a few times. See, the cool thing about Canada is you could go there when you were 19 and I'm from Michigan. So we just zip over the border and boy, oh boy, that was on, you know, but I mean, we have, you know, we have a wonderful sponsorship family of guys that are committed to this work that uh, support each other and continue to grow spiritually on a daily basis as a result of, you know, being committed to each other, committed to the program, committed to the work, right? And the path narrows and we continue to get better each day at a time. And, you know, we see great things happen. They get engaged, they have children, they get new cars, they buy new homes, they you know, live happy, usefully whole, productive lives. I mean, these are people that were on the in death stage of alcoholism, right? Completely transformed, just like I was like internally changed and transformed as a result of this work, as a result of the kindness and love that we found in Alcoholics Anonymous when we got here. You know, as a result of that handshake of that individual who stood at the door and welcomed us as new people in Alcoholics Anonymous. Now that's where that all starts. Because if you can't welcome me, you don't make me feel welcome here. You know, I'm like, likely to die of alcoholism because I can separate myself from you guys real quick. And I did that for a long time and I was essentially living that. Um, life today is good. You know, I, I, I've experienced some, some challenges over the last few months as well that have really given me an opportunity to grow in Alcoholics Anonymous, right? Like, you know, we can find ourselves in positions where we attach to a lot of things that are really not what we are as a people, right? And I had to go through a process and identify that I'm an alcoholic, first and foremost. I don't get to be a husband, a father, a son, a business development representative, a director, any of the things that I do in life without being an alcoholic first, Right. Alcoholic is my first and foremost priority and job title. Like without that, everything else is just nothing. Like there's a saying in Alcoholics Anonymous, I'm sure Lauren's heard me share this one before, is, you know, if you come to Alcoholics Anonymous and you're sober today, you get a one for that. And you might start building your life up. And soon enough, you get a car, you know, you get an apartment. You get a girlfriend, you get, in a, you get yourself a house and you start adding a lot of zeros to the end of that. And before you know, you're a year sober, two years sober, three years sober, and you are feeling like a millionaire. But if you take away that one, you're an absolute zero, a loser, just like Brian talked about when he got here. And I was that, but I understand how important the one is, right? Without the one, nothing else matters to me. The Alcoholics Anonymous is the best thing that ever happened to me. And I'm sure that if you stay here or you've been here, you'll agree to that as well um, because it's given me a life of purpose. My purpose is to stay sober 
and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. And, uh, you know, if I can stick with that purpose and I can encourage people to seek the solution that I've found here, then I feel pretty good about myself on a daily basis. I'd really like uh, to thank you all again for the opportunity to, to sit here and talk, talk with you guys tonight. It's been a while since I've had the opportunity to do this. Um, I hope that you or the people online enjoyed something or maybe it helped you in a certain way. Um, if I can help in any way, I'm always here. Thanks.